As I indicated in my prayer, and as you may have guessed from looking at the bulletin, I intend to begin a series today of sermons. I'm not sure yet how long it will be, but a series of sermons on the book of Genesis. And the title of my series will be In the Beginning. And we will probably be looking at the first 11 chapters of the book. So today, let's begin by turning to Genesis chapter 1 and read the whole chapter together. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, And let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas. And let fowl multiply in the earth, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. 
And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat or food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. We'll read that far. The text that we consider today is just the first two verses of the chapter. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. These are the simple and yet moving words with which the Bible begins. Bereshith is the first word in the Bible in the Hebrew language. Bereshith. That word means in the beginning. And that word is the name of this first book of the Bible in the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrews, from the earliest times, called this first book of the Bible Bereshith, in the beginning. It wasn't until this book was translated into the Greek language by the Jews sometime before Christ that the name Genesis came about from the Greek language. And the name Genesis means generations, or origin, or beginnings. Both of these terms, Bereshith from the Hebrew and Genesis from the Greek, are very fitting titles to this first book of the Bible because this book teaches us, and in this book God reveals to us, that in the beginning... He created the heavens and the earth. And, as it is put in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. The beginning, the generations of the heavens and the earth. That is the theme of this book. Bereshith, Genesis 
No man saw what happened at the beginning of this world. And yet, all men know what happened, even though many men deny it. We cannot prove the truth that God created the heavens and the earth to an unbeliever by mere logic. For example, we cannot convince or prove to an unbeliever the truth found in our text by an argument such as this. All things have a cause. You know that. I know that. Everyone knows that all things have a cause. Therefore, the world itself must have a cause. And the cause of the world, therefore, must be the first cause. And that first cause, therefore, must be God. And therefore, I should be able to prove to you that there is a God who created this world. Even though that logic may seem sound to us, you will never convince an atheist or an unbeliever of any kind of the truth of that argument simply by the mere logic of it. Although that logic is part of God's general revelation of himself in the creation, as Paul writes in Romans 1 verse 20, that the invisible things of God are clearly seen by all men from the visible things of his creation, so that all men are left without excuse in the day of judgment when they do not believe in God. Nevertheless, if and when you are witnessing as a Christian to an atheist, a skeptic, a deist, a pantheist, or any other kind of unbeliever, you cannot and you must not try to prove this to them by mere logic. Rather, you must bring your Bible and you must read to them the words of our text and you must impress upon them this is what God says in his word. God tells us. God reveals to us what no man has ever seen because we were not there. God has told us in his word exactly what happened in the beginning. He created the heavens and the earth because God is pleased to use his word as the power to give the gift of faith to believers, to his children, the faith that he created all things. What a gift that faith is. Do you recognize how precious it is that you believe the words of our text? That's a gift of God to you and to me. Something we should always be thankful for. God has given to us this precious gift that we believe and we know one of the greatest riddles of the universe. One of the greatest mysteries and questions that all human beings have asked throughout the ages of history. We know the answer. The question is, where did this world come from? The answer, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as Hebrews 11 verse 3 teaches us, by faith, not by mere logic, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. We and our children need to be constantly reinforced and refreshed in our belief of the truths in Genesis. And the reason for that is not only that within ourselves we have an old man of sin which is constantly tempted to all kinds of unbelief, 
but also that outside of ourselves there is a wicked world. And we happen to live in this modern world in which for many decades and even centuries now there has been a rise and development of all kinds of unbelief regarding the beginning of the universe. And so as I thought about what to preach as a first series as, my, as your new pastor, I thought of Genesis. I'm making a beginning here as your pastor. And I thought how fitting then to go back to the beginning and to start there and to build and to reinforce and to strengthen you and me in our belief of the beginning, the foundational doctrines of our faith. So let's make a beginning today on these sermons under the general theme, In the Beginning. And then this morning, or today, we look at God's creation of the heavens and earth. Notice in the first place, God in the beginning. That's the teaching of our text, God in the beginning. Secondly, we notice his creation of the world, obviously also the teaching of the text. Finally, we direct our attention to the rest of Scripture, which shows us the purpose of God in Christ in his creation of the world. In the beginning, those are the simple and yet glorious, moving, and profound words that begin the book of Genesis and the whole of the scriptures. Words that are so simple that even our little children understand them, which we can readily grasp and understand, and yet at the same time, it plunges us into such deep waters that we find ourselves unable fully to fathom what is being said here in God's word. Simple, simple words. We have little trouble understanding the idea of a beginning or of beginnings because all of us have experienced beginnings in our lives. All of us has a beginning. You have a beginning and I have a beginning. And we can think back of that time in history when we began in this world. This church had a beginning. Your nation had a beginning. And so, as we think about beginnings, it is not hard for us to understand that it seems that everything has a beginning, and therefore that the heavens and the earth, too, must have had a beginning. And that is precisely the teaching of our text, that the heavens and the earth had a beginning. They did not always exist But they had a beginning, a time when they began. But as soon as we grasp that simple truth taught in the text, and then we want to plunge a little deeper and try to grasp it more fully, we soon realize we are in very deep waters when we look at the words of our text. Just that simple phrase, in the beginning. Because Moses is not here writing about just some beginning or a beginning or beginnings, but he's talking about the beginning. The beginning of all things. The beginning of all beginnings. The beginning of time itself. And as soon as we hear that there was a beginning of time itself, we immediately want to know, yes, okay, but what was before the beginning? our minds immediately press us forward, or backward rather, to want to know if there was a beginning of time, what was before the beginning of time? 
There must have been something or someone before the beginning, was there not? And when we ask that question, we're showing what we feel deep, deep down inside ourselves. That we cannot really grasp or fathom the idea that time had a beginning. Because when we hear of the beginning of time, we want to know what was before the beginning of time. But when we speak of something being before the beginning of time, we're still speaking in terms of time. The text is teaching us that time had a beginning. And yet, we recognize and we feel deep inside us that there must have been something, there must have been someone there before the beginning of time, was there not? Seems to me that whether we are thinking of the beginning of time or whether we are feeling that time had no beginning, in either case, we're not able to fathom the depths of that. Did time have a beginning? Or did time have no beginning? And does it simply stretch backward to infinity? Backward, 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 backward to an infinite era of eras that continues to go backward to all eternity? No. Our text teaches us the simple yet extremely profound and fathomless, unsearchable truth. Time had a beginning. This is the beginning of time that is revealed in our text. Because Moses does not speak about a beginning, but the beginning. Moses is revealing to us by the inspiration of the Spirit that time when time began, that moment when the clock started ticking for the very first time, before which there was no time. And yet, as I said, it is deep inside any human being to realize there must have been something or someone before the beginning. And in that, we are correct. Because Moses teaches us, the Holy Spirit teaches us, in the beginning, God. In the beginning was God. God was in the beginning. And God was before the beginning. God has always existed. God had no beginning. But as soon as we start saying things like that, that God was before the beginning and that God always existed, once again we find ourselves scratching our heads and puzzling how that can be. And we find ourselves, again, scrambling, struggling, stuttering, stammering, trying to find words to express the truth of the text. Because I just said that God was before the beginning, but there too I'm using words of time. I just said that God always existed, but there too is a word of time. When we say something was before something else, we're speaking of its relation to time. When we speak of something always having been, we're speaking of time. But God was not before time. Not technically. God is above time. God is the creator of time. Time did not always exist. Before the beginning of time, God didn't always exist. God simply was. And he is. And he is to come. 
When he gave Moses his name later in the book of Exodus, he says, this is my name that you will tell the children of Israel. I am that I am. That's my name. That reveals who I am and what I am. I am. Not I was, although you may say that to help you understand, but although that's not really true, I didn't, it's not that I was or that I will be, but it's this, I am. God is above time. He is above the beginning, infinitely, infinitely exalted and transcendent above all time, all passage of moments, seconds, minutes, hours, days, eons, millennia. God is above all of that. One day is with him as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God is the exalted one, the infinite one. God dwells in perfect, serene, peaceful glory and majesty and wonder above all passage of time. This time that we experience is like a river that flows ever backward from the backward to the forward, flowing. But that time had its source in God himself. He's the fountain. He's the creator. He's the source of all passage of time. But he is not subject to time. He is the infinite. In the beginning, God. God created the beginning. He created time. How can that be? We do not understand how that can be. But this is how we are to understand it. God created time itself. And he created all of space. He created time and space. He created these two creatures to reflect something of his infinity. He created the creature of time itself such that it would seem to us that it stretches backward to infinity and it stretches forward to infinity. And he created space such that it seems to us that it stretches onward and onward and onward to infinity in every direction. God created them for this very purpose, that they would reflect himself, that they would point to himself. Because these are creatures. Time and space are creatures, and therefore they are not infinite. Time seems to stretch back, doesn't it, to infinity, but it doesn't. It only stretches back about 6,000 or so years to the beginning. Space seems to stretch on, doesn't it? On and on and on. We can't imagine that there's a boundary, that there's an end to it, but there is. It only seems infinite. It only seems to go on and on and on. God created these things that way. So that as we sit here, pondering, scratching our heads and puzzling, and trying to come up with words to express exactly what that all means, we would be left dumbfounded in awestruck wonder. Saying with Job, I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. And the psalmist, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable unsearchable, unfathomable. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God, Elohim, is the Hebrew term 
Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew term Elohim is actually a plural noun. It means gods. But we know that Moses was not teaching polytheism in the very first verse of the Bible. The Bible which thoroughly and completely and consistently condemns polytheism doesn't teach it in the very first verse. And yet he uses the word gods. Gods created the heavens and the earth. Why does he use the plural? Well, we know he's not referring to many gods because although he uses the plural noun, he uses a singular verb. Plural noun, gods, singular verb, created. Gods created. Now what does that mean? It's possible that Moses had in mind here that the one God who is the creator of all things is a God of many powers. That's the interpretation of the Jews. But that's also the interpretation of some Christians. Elohim, gods. Not that there are many gods, but that the one God is a God of immense and many, many, many powers. And God has revealed his many powers in the creation of the many, many creatures and forces and energies of the universe. And although that may be true, it seems that already in this first verse of the Bible, the Holy Spirit was also inspiring Moses to write something of which Moses perhaps himself was not even aware. Namely, that this one God is also in some way more than one. This one God is in some way more than two because there's another form in the Hebrew language that indicates duality, two of something. But he doesn't use that form. He uses the plural, which indicates not one, not two, but more than two. This one God is in some way more than two. And if we scan the rest of the scriptures, we find very quickly in Old and New Testament, this one God is three. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Psalm 33, verse 6, the psalmist says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth, by his word and by his breath, And then we turn to John 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. And there the apostle writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. There is God, and there is the Word of God, and there is the breath of God. And that breath of God is also found in our text in verse 2, when Moses writes, And the Spirit, or the breath of God, moved upon the face of the waters. And so, in Isaiah 45, verse 12, when God speaks with these words, I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. When God says, I have done this, we must understand there that God is speaking as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is saying, I, I, I 
have created all these things, the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, the triune God created the heavens and the earth. The doctrine that is taught in this first verse of the Bible is the doctrine of creation. The creation of the whole world. The first verse of Genesis 1 is not, as some people think, a title of the chapter. Verses 1 and 2 are not simply a title of the general subject being treated in this chapter, but Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 is the revelation of God of what he did in that very first moment of the world. He created time, space, heavens, and earth. Creation can be defined as the wondrous work of God, bringing out of nothing all things into being that he determined in his eternal counsel to make. Creation is God's wondrous work of bringing into being all things out of nothing. Bringing something out of nothing. And since we know that that's impossible for us to do, we see that it's a wondrous act of God. In the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 9, this is the Reformed teaching that God the Father of nothing made heaven and earth and with all that is in them. In the Belgic Confession, Article 12, the Reformed confess, we believe that the Father, by the word, that is, by his Son, hath created of nothing the heaven, the earth, and all creatures, as it seemed good unto him, giving unto every creature its being, shape, form, and several offices to serve its creator. Here we find in the Reformed faith an expression of the truth of our text that God created everything out of nothing. God did not create the heavens and the earth out of something. There was not something there before the beginning. There was nothing there except for God himself. There are some who propose and suppose that material things have always existed in some way, shape, or form from all eternity that they were not created that they have no beginning, and therefore that at some point in time God shaped the world out of pre-existing things. That's not true. God did not create the heavens and the earth out of something, nor did God create the heavens and the earth out of himself. There are other philosophies and religions that teach that the world that we live in is simply an emanation of the divine Material things have flowed out of the divine. That's called pantheism and Gnosticism. It's the idea that God and the world are one and the same reality that have always existed from all eternity and will always continue to exist. That God and the world are constantly developing and evolving, influencing one another until a higher form of evolution takes place. But the Reformed and biblical teaching is that in the beginning, God created everything out of nothing. That is, out of no other materials and out of nothing except for his own eternal plan and counsel. 
Before the beginning, God existed. Only God, with his perfect eternal plan. And in that plan, he had determined every single creature that he would make and exactly the way he would make it. And creation is his marvelous, wondrous work of bringing that to pass. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's what he created in the beginning. In that very first moment of time, the first thing he created was the heaven. Or in the original language, more literally, he created the heavens. The Hebrew speaks here of the heavens, plural, more than one heaven. What is meant by the heaven in the text? What did God create in that very, very first moment when we are told he created the heavens? It means that God created the whole region of space, including the physical and the spiritual heaven. The heavens above and the heavens beneath. All of the heavens. The whole region of space that we said seems to stretch on forever and ever and ever. But in that very first moment, God did not yet create the sun or the moon, the planets, the stars, or the galaxies that seem to fill our universe today. But as he says repeatedly in the scriptures, he stretched out the heavens. He stretched out space in that very first moment. Not only did he start the clock of time ticking, but he stretched out space in all directions, up and down, left and right, everywhere, so that it would seem to stretch on and on in all directions from the central point of the earth. And then he also created the spiritual heaven. A spiritual heaven, also part of the universe, and yet not a part that we can see with our eyes, and yet it's part of the same universe, it's part of the same creation. The heavens and the earth are separated. That is, the physical and the spiritual heavens. But God created also the spiritual heaven as the place where he would dwell, where he would manifest himself as the king of all creation, where he would set up his throne, the manifestation of his majesty and glory. And it's the place where he put the angels that he created in the very beginning to serve him as ministering spirits to praise him and worship him day and night and to serve all of his purposes in the world. In the beginning, God created the whole region of space, dark, empty, vast space, all of it. But he also created the earth. In the very first moment, he created the earth. Now, as we're going to see, the earth was without form and void. In that very first moment, the earth was not as we know it today. It was not yet a well-defined and well-ordered world. The world did not yet revolve around the sun. The earth did not yet have a moon in the sky. It was not yet in the shape of a globe. But it is described in the text as the deep and as the waters upon which the Spirit of God moved. The earth was the concentration of all the material that God made in the beginning, mixed together 
without form and void. Moses, in the text, is not teaching the strange doctrine called the gap theory that some Christians have proposed as the interpretation of verses 1 and 2. The gap theory is the teaching that God originally created a perfect world. That's verse 1. At the dawn of time, he created the heavens and the earth as a perfect, beautiful, pristine creation. But then between verse 1 and verse 2, evil entered into the world, probably through Satan and his followers. And when evil entered into the world, God had to bring his judgment down upon the world. And as a judgment, God threw the world into chaos so that the earth became without form and void, a shapeless and chaotic and confused earth. And then only after billions and billions of years did the earth finally develop and evolve into its present state, which is poetically described, they say, in Genesis 1. We reject that as a strange theory, which doesn't even make sense, and which has no basis at all in the text or in the scriptures. Moses is not saying that God first created a perfect world and then he threw it into chaos, but actually he's saying just the opposite. God first created a world in utter chaos, and then out of that chaos, he shaped and fashioned a perfect world in six days. That's the teaching of the text. After all, we know that evil did not enter into the world after verse 1, but evil entered the world through the sin of Adam and Eve in chapter 3. That is, the evil that would bring down the judgment and the curse of God on the creation. That did not enter after verse 1, but after chapter 3. In chapter 1 and 2, we have the perfect creation of God. But in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we are shown how God created that perfect world. He did so in two stages. He first created the heavens and the earth, and he created the earth without form and void. So he created this vast, immense universe of empty, dark, cold space. And in the midst of that universe, he created the earth with nothing else around it. But that earth, as it was first created, was without form, without shape, and void. That is, it was empty. There were no creatures on that earth. There were no living beings on that earth. But that earth was in a chaotic state. It was a confusion of all of the basic elements that God brought into being out of nothing. And then the second phase of his work is described in the rest of the chapter. On days one through six, God shaped, fashioned, and molded those basic materials into a perfect creation. Even the words that God gives Moses to write in this chapter show us that. There are three words in the Hebrew, create, make, and form. We find the word create in our text, verse 1. 
Later, we find the word make in verse 7. God made the firmament. Not created, but he made it. And in chapter 2, verse 7, we find the word formed. The Lord God formed or fashioned man. When the Bible says God created, it means he made something out of nothing. When the Bible says he made it or he formed it, it's saying he made something out of something. He took that stuff that he had made and he shaped it, he fashioned it, he molded it into the creatures he had determined. So in the first phase of God's creative work, which, was, which only lasted for a brief moment, he brought into being out of nothing the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form. Not yet a clearly defined land and sea and forest and field but a mass of crude and inert and raw materials, without any shape or form, void of light and life, cold and frozen, with the Spirit moving on the face of the deep waters, which evidently covered the surface of the earth. That's what we read in the rest of the text in verse 2. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. What we are seeing in these first two verses is that God determined from all eternity that he would first create this vast, empty universe in a shapeless, empty form, chaotic, confused mixture of elements, and energies and forces and laws of nature. And then, in six days, he would bring order and complexity and life and beauty to the creation that he had made. Why did God determine to make the world that way? In those two stages. Because God wants to reveal to us that we would understand throughout all ages the very opposite of what modern man teaches. Because modern man teaches that the world originated in chaos and proceeded to complexity and order by chance. But God will have us to know the world originated in chaos, yes, and proceeded to order complexity, life, and beauty because I did that. Only God can bring order out of chaos. The folly of man today, the utter madness of the prevailing view of modern science is to say that this complex, well-ordered and organized, beautiful world in which we live, this human body in which we inhabit, all came to pass by chance. Without God, all on its own. That's the teaching of modern man in his utter folly and madness, the teaching that nature created itself about 13.8 billion years ago, we are told, when supposedly an incredibly tiny and dense atom, which was perhaps the size of a grapefruit, we are told, and inside that small primordial sphere was contained all of space, time, matter, and energy of the universe today. And then it exploded, we are told, 
And in an instant, it blasted apart and it created space and time. And it created matter and energy. But first there was chaos and darkness, but only over billions and billions of years did these energies and materials form together into stars and galaxies. And then with the debris flying around the stars, planets were formed and moons formed around those planets. But if you ask them, how did that first and original sphere of matter and space and time, where did that come from? They won't be able to tell you, but they will advance into all kinds of speculations. Just search it up on the internet once, and you'll see all of the crazy ideas that they think may have existed before the Big Bang. That there are multiverses, that there are infinite cycles of universes before the Big Bang. But if you keep going back and back and back, and you ask them, but where did that come from? And where did that come from? And where did that come from? What is the beginning? Where did it begin? How did it begin? Where did it all come from? Who started it? In the end, they will just have to tell you, nature created itself, or that nature always existed. The folly of their view, as I already mentioned, is brought out in the fact that they believe order, complexity, beauty, and life itself, life itself, even rational and moral creatures like ourselves, came into being by chance, without any God bringing it to pass. And then there are the theistic evolutionists, And they also buy into this theory because supposedly modern science is so convincing that it has proven this to be a fact, even though they must admit it still is a theory. And yet even Christians today buy into this notion of the Big Bang. And then they have to deal with Genesis. And how do we interpret those first verses of the Bible and the rest of Genesis 1? And then they come to say that, well, the Big Bang was caused by God. That's Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God caused the Big Bang to happen. And then they would say, out of that earth that was without form and void over billions and billions of years, the days of Genesis refer to periods of millions and billions of years. And it was God who superintended that period of progressive creationism in which God is the one who brought life out of chaos. But as we will see, as we go through this chapter, the days of Genesis cannot be interpreted as periods of millions of years, because they are defined as the morning and the evening. The truth that is being revealed to us in our text is that God created time and space the heavens and the earth in the beginning by his power and by his word. He is the one who in the first six days of creation brought order out of chaos as he alone can do. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, we are told, and that points us to God's purpose in Christ Darkness. God created darkness as well. 
Isaiah 45, verse 7 teaches that God created the darkness. We usually understand darkness to be simply the absence of light, and it is. But it's also a creature. It didn't exist before the beginning. God created darkness. And there was nothing but pitch darkness in that first moment of time. There was not a single spark of light anywhere in the whole universe. But that was no problem for God because he can see all things with his penetrating gaze. And the Spirit of God, we are told, moved over the face of the waters of the earth in the midst of that pitch-black darkness. When the Bible says the Spirit of God moved over the face of the waters, the idea is that he hovered or fluttered almost like a mother bird fluttering over her wings and her love for her little eggs, cherishing them, caring for them, to bring them forth into the world as living chicks. In Psalm 104, verse 30, the psalmist writes, Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created. Thou renewest the face of the earth. We will sing that psalm after the sermon this afternoon. The Holy Spirit from the very beginning was fluttering, hovering over the face of the dark deep. And what was the Holy Spirit doing? Just as a mother bird fluttering over her eggs, he was preparing this cold, lifeless, chaotic creation to bring forth and burst forth in beautiful and vast array of life. He was infusing into those raw, crude materials all of the energies, the powers, and the forces that God would soon cause to burst forth in living things. Trees, flowers, fruits, birds, fish, beasts, serpents, and man from the dust, from that dust. This points us to the fact that God had a higher purpose with the creation, a purpose to bring forth life, from this creation, but also a purpose to lead this creation out of the darkness in Christ. Why did God create a world that was originally pitch dark? God would reveal to us through the scriptures that he did that so that we would understand he had an eternal purpose that sin the darkness of sin would enter this world and the darkness of hell in its wake. Because darkness in Scripture is a symbol that points to sin and hell. God was showing us right in the beginning his purpose. Sin will enter this perfect world and hell will follow. It's interesting, the words, the Hebrew words for without form and void appear also in the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. For example, in Jeremiah 4, verse 23, Jeremiah indicates that God who brought this world from chaos into order can also reverse it from order back into chaos. Jeremiah 4, verse 23, Jeremiah says, I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, 
and all the hills moved lightly. I beheld, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of the heaven were fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. For thus saith the Lord, The whole land shall be desolate, yet will I not make a full end. For this shall the earth mourn and the heavens above be black. Jeremiah is teaching that just as God created the world without form and void and then perfected it, he can also take that perfectly well-ordered and beautiful world and reverse it back into confusion and chaos. And that is his judgment on sin. The Apostle Peter indicates that God will do that very thing. In 2 Peter 3, verses 7 through 10, he warns that the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. God created the darkness first to reveal that he would glorify himself in the highest possible way. The way of rescuing us from darkness. In Colossians 1 verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes that all things were created by Christ and for Christ. As we saw from John 1, in the beginning was Christ. Christ was there. God was creating the world through his word, through Christ and through his spirit. God created all things by Christ and for Christ. His purpose with this whole world is that he will send Christ. Christ will come down from heaven into this earth, which will become cloaked in darkness through the sin of Adam. And he will deliver us from that darkness through the blood of his cross. He will enter into the darkness, the three hours of darkness. He will suffer the wrath of God in our place. And through his shedding of his blood, he will rescue us. He will reconcile all things. That's what he did. And therefore, as we saw this morning, Christ ascended up into heaven And Christ has now been given all authority over the heavens and the earth. And he promises to come again to create a new heavens and a new earth. Whenever we go back to Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We are pointed forward to the end, to Revelation 21. Behold, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth were passed away. Christ came to die on the cross to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And that was God's purpose all along. God's highest and greatest purpose was not this earth and heavens. But he created this earth and heavens to pass through the darkness and to become a glorious, new, and everlasting creation. That's the purpose of God with all things. So what a comfort and hope that gives to us as we live in this time. Isaiah 45, verse 18. 
For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Amen. Our gracious God and Father, we thank Thee once again for the gift of the revelation of Genesis and the gift of faith to believe Thy Word in the midst of dark days of unbelief. We pray, Father, that Thou would use this sermon today to deepen our understanding of great mysteries. And Father, as we stare into the face of infinity, In these opening verses of the Bible, we pray that it might capture our hearts in wonder and fill us with awe, knowing that we are staring into the face of Thee, our God. But as we look back to the beginning, give us also hope as we look forward to the future, that as Thou hast created this world, Thou wilt create a new world too, through the power of Christ, and Thou wilt bring us into it. May that encourage us this coming week. And may we live in the midst of thy creation this week as those who recognize this is my Father's world. And may we give thee praise. In Jesus' name, amen.